the jobs report did not come in the way they would have liked. The jobs report was underneath. They expected some 490,000 jobs. They got 433,000. 431,000, sorry. And maybe that could be seen as stronger than they thought. But not when the expectation was higher. Unemployment's 3.6%. What in the world does that matter? Shouldn't we be looking at labor force participation? Why are states now moving to reduce the amount of unemployment benefits that they offer in terms of the weeks that they're offered, if not to get people to go back to work? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, how are you doing? 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Stephen Moore, former Trump economic advisor and economist, scheduled to be with us. Uh, radio talk show host uh, and now author Stacy Washington is going uh, to to join us. Uh, very interesting conversation about faith and uh, the the how how easily it is, it is lost, you know. And it, and it, everyone discusses faith in a, in a different way, and I know I always have. Um, but uh, she's written a, a really interesting book on the subject, and I want to break it uh, down. Uh, also. Um, you got Final Four. You got what's going on with the Buccaneers, with, with their coach, Bruce Arians. We're going to talk to JMV from 93.5107.5, the fan in Indianapolis, to break that down. But Joe Biden, on this jobs report, man, uh, there, that's a lot of lipstick. Today, we learned that in March, our economy created 431,000 jobs. Nice sound to it. We also learned that in January and February, our economy created 100,000 more jobs than we previously had thought. That means that over the last three months, the economy has created more than a half million, more than 500,000 jobs a month. Over the course of my presidency, our recovery has now created 7.9 million jobs. More jobs created over the first 14 months of any presidency in any term ever. People going back to work is not job creation. I'm happy to see if things were uh, estimated up creating 100,000 more jobs in January and February than previously thought. I think that's good. I don't need less jobs to know that Biden's not good at this, (laughs) right? I think that's a weird take. I always have. But if you're going to claim that you've created 7.9 million jobs when it's so easy to point that out as a lie, because it is a lie... You're going to get called a liar, and you should to your face. No jobs have been created under the Biden administration. People have gone back to work, but no jobs have been created. And that's striking. But what's even more striking is this. In March, the unemployment rate fell to 3.6%, down from 6.4% when I took office about 15 months ago. The fastest decline in unemployment to start a president's term ever recorded. In fact, there have been only three months in the last 50 years where the uh, unemployment rate in America is lower than it is now. And that means what it means is clear, what is very clear. America are back to work. And that's good news for millions of families who have a little more breathing room and and the dignity that comes from earning a paycheck, just the dignity of having a job. And more and more Americans get jobs as they do. It's going to help ease the supply pressures we've seen. And that's good news for fighting inflation. It's good news for our economy, and it means that our economy has gone from being on the mend to being on the move. 
You know, the American people, uh, I think they, uh, they're beginning to understand that this American Rescue Plan, and there's no reason why they should know the names of all these pieces of legislation that got passed. But the American Rescue Plan, with it, we were able to get Americans <clears throat> vaccinated, schools opened, and businesses humming. Stop it. Just stop it. The American Rescue Plan is going to put trillions all the spending, I really should, should make it all encompassing, putting trillions into the system, keeping inflation going, and you people aren't done spending. But you haven't created a job. I mean, that's the story. I take a look at this, and I can be proven wrong. I take a look at this, and I don't find this impressive. I'm happy if people are going back to work. However, that gets blunted in places like New York, for example, where Staten Island, Amazon workers have voted to unionize a warehouse. Wait till you see how much it costs to get a product on Amazon now. Amazon workers, Staten Island warehouse facility, voted to join a union. They employ 6,000 workers. And the results are still need to be formally certified by the National Labor Relations Board. In Alabama, they voted not to unionize, and the NLRB is contesting the vote. Remember, the left wants the, the left wants unions more than they want oxygen. They love unions because unions mean control. The unions are the kind of people who don't believe in a secret ballot. You have to vote uh, in, in the open so everybody knows what you did, and therefore punishments can come. And oh yes, they will punish you for voting the wrong way. Not a debate. They will punish you for voting the wrong way. Of course they will. It's not not a question. It's a matter of fact. But when these people unionize, is it for the benefit of those employees? I'm sure one or two actually believe that. Is it a benefit to the union? Yes, it is. And now that they've created this union, the Amazon Labor Union, they can say, hey, this labor model doesn't work. And if the labor model doesn't work, say goodbye to two-day shipping. Just saying, it won't happen. It will not happen. We should also take a note that in uh, the the facility there, uh, 2,350 voted in favor of joining 1,912 opposed. So I think those 1,900 people have to go find new jobs. Because I think that your life is going to be uh, tougher. I think that they're going to make it tougher. And the union is going to make it so Amazon cannot do its thing. Remember, no one's forcing you to work there. And if Amazon can't do its thing, which is the two-day and the next day and all the things that make it incredible, and it is incredible, by the way. Oh, well, then, then you know what? It, maybe they don't need all those people. Maybe all those people aren't necessary if they're not working at that kind of pace. You know, they can get it to you in six or seven days. That's a lot easier to do. A lot easier to do indeed. But I can't wait to see if in Alabama they force them into the unionization. That... That is going to be the interesting play.
Stacey Washington joins us next. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. I'm trying to make it a point to mix it up. I mean, I've got a story to share with you today that when I heard it made me scream out loud regarding how the Biden administration is treating children. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's so good uh, to be with you. I need to not be a 24-7 all politics, all the time, insanity. There's no, it's just not a way to live. It is not a way to live at all. Well, there's more to this world than just the politics. And maybe part of the problem is people who have not brought themselves a, a sense of purpose. Stacey Washington joins me right now, radio host on Sirius XM. She's the author of the book, Eternally Cancel Proof, a guide for courageous Christians navigating the political battlefront. Um, now, I, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but we've known each other a good long time. And the concept always, uh, in, in, in a way, moves me because there's, there's something I don't connect with. And I've always been okay with that. But there's something that other people want to attack, and I've never quite understood it so when you discuss cancel proof in a world of cancel culture are you discussing faith being cancel proof or are you talking about a just the general idea of belief being cancel proof actually i'm talking about the assurance that you know that your beliefs are based in something outside of yourself and so the freedom that you have it's it's a freedom that i have when i don't have to argue with people about points and i don't have to kind of look at the world as, okay, this group is canceling me, and that's the end. In fact, you're going to get canceled. Chapter 9 is all about me being canceled. Um, I've been canceled very publicly twice. One was ideological viewpoint-based. The other one was um, just the programming shakeup, and I lost my job. But in both cases, I had different reactions to it and different ways of approaching it. And what I'm telling the reader, because there's a lot of politics in the book, I cover I cover the major issues. I talk about socialism, and I go right to the Bible because that's where the founders got so much of what we have in our founding documents, our Bill of Rights. They used the Black Robe Regiment, which is what they call the pastors back then, and their sermons were used as a basis for the laws, the Bill of Rights, everything that the founders were putting together. They consulted these men. So the book is geared towards Christians, but any person can read it if you want to understand what's happening in America today. And then have that quiet assurance that the things that you believe, the things you're advocating for, if you're on the political right, you don't have to worry about being canceled because of it, because we live to fight another day. And I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of tired of seeing us as Christians, as people like yourself. Tony, you're right. We've known each other for so long. It's almost like you're a part of my family. And you have this kind of, it's a devil-may-care attitude because you understand that what you believe in and what you're advocating for and the talk that you provide it's based in something. And so that's what I want people to have. I want people to just, on the right, stop asking for permission to have a say in your kid's school. They're your kids. You pay for the building. You pay the taxes. You pay everything that goes on in a public school. It's funded by you. You don't need permission 
to have a say in your kid's education. We don't need permission to stop them from putting guys, full-grown men who are six feet, four inches tall, in women's locker rooms. We don't need permission for that. We are eternally cancel-proof because our ideas are the only ones that work. That's what the book is about. But it, it, it's conceptually, I don't disagree in practice it gets a little more complicated. Talking to Stacey Washington, uh, radio host, uh, Sirius XM Radio, the book, Eternally Cancel Proof, a guide for courageous Christians navigating the political battlefront. You can get that at Amazon.com. Uh, it is available right now as we speak. Um, in, in the reality, they come after your business if they don't like what you have to say. If you post the wrong thing on social media, they'll come after you personally. People are afraid sometimes to speak out because they're afraid their kids will suffer from it or not get into the right school for it or not get the right job uh, for it. So uh, on that concept of cancel culture, you're talking about, like, for example, um, Disney is wrong if they're advocating for the idea that children can choose their own gender. Well, that's something that can get somebody canceled it's in, in practice, it's a much harder thing for people to deal with. True. But my, in my life, and I'm not a, a spring chicken, we have three kids in college, our youngest kid is 18. Um, I found that the things that have brought me the most joy, the most long-lasting value, have been those most difficult things. And I am willing to put something on the line. And in order to actually reverse the leftward swing we're seeing in our country, we all have to be willing to do that. And so I'm saying, you know, you very well may be canceled. You probably will be canceled at least once in your life. But if you're not willing to lose a couple of clients or switch jobs or, you know, kind of be banished from your social circle because you don't want to advocate for gender-free bathrooms in your kid's school, then it's not really worth anything to you. And I'm, I, for one, we need more people who are willing to say, yeah, you know what, it's worth that for me. So we have to live carefully so that if the cancellation comes, we can weather it, and it will come. That the, the issue here is we keep asking as if we can avoid it. If I'm just quiet enough, if I'm just agreeable enough, if I just say yes enough, there is never enough for the left. As we can see, they once told us love is love. Just let you know people who are love, in love with someone of the same sex, just let them marry and let them have a public life and don't punish them. And so we're already way past that. And now we're advocating for the transgenders. And now they're even starting to openly advocate for sex between minors and adults. And things have gone much further than they told us we would need them to go. So the answer is how much further do you want them to go? You have to stand up at some point or the, the further they go, they'll be running over you. They're already doing that. They're running over our children. They're running over our culture. They're destroying the things that make America the number one destination for immigration. And the only way to stop that is if we basically, we, you know what? I'm standing up. I'm speaking out. I'm, no, you can't actually take over my kid's school. No, you can't take over my workplace with, you know, critical race theory, diversity, equity, inclusion, all the 100 other names they call it. We have to start speaking up. So in, in, in that conversation, I mean, that's just one of the more uh, recent ones. To, to your life, to the things you've experienced, talked about uh, being canceled, uh, when you decide, I mean, you could have written a book about a myriad of subjects, your time in, in, in the Air Force, uh, being on school boards. There's a lot that, that you've done in, in your career. Um, what what led you to this? This is the subject that I want to tackle. Well, I was writing a book about um, how I became a conservative. And the story of my time on school board is in this book. The, the story of how I became a conservative is in the book. So 
you're not missing out on those kind of, you know, your first book is always how did I become a conservative or some major political issue that you cover. So you can get booked onto Fox. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the time-honored formula. Those, those facts are in the book. But the reason I chose to go in this direction is because of where we are right now. I was doing some research, and I found that there are 43 states that have exemptions for pornographic material or smut. Um, it's indecent material, but if an educator presents it in a school building or a library, if they say it has some educational or artistic value, then they can show your child pornographic cartoons. They can put anything they want into a book and give your child access to it. That is an exception to a law. that should, it, The exception should not exist. There is no literary value in showing children how to have sex or sexual content. So I was looking at that and thinking, how did we get here? You know, how did we get to a place where this is going on? When I know even Democrats, my, my hardcore leftist Democrat neighbors and friends don't agree with children reading pornography. So what's right. happening here? And I found a study. It's called What God's People Want to Know, where people who are Bible-believing Christians were polled by the Barna Group. And they actually found that the things they wanted to know the most were what does the Bible say about LGBT? What does the Bible say about socialism and immigration? Are open borders really more just than having a sovereign nation with a sealed border and an immigration program? I started doing that research and realized, yeah, people want to know how I became a conservative. It's in the book. It's, it's right, right there at the beginning. But the stuff they really want to know is what I wrote about. And so that's how we got this. Eternally Cancel Proof, a guide for courageous Christians navigating the political battlefront. You should check it out. Amazon.com is where you find it. Eternally Cancel Proof. Stacey Washington is your author, <laughs> Stacy. Good on you. <laughs> Thank you. Always a pleasure. More coming up. Keep it here. We're going to talk economy. I'm Tony Katz. The problem we're facing with gas prices has two roots. First, the pandemic. When COVID struck, demand for oil plummeted, so production slowed down worldwide. It's because of the strength and the speed of our recovery, demand for oil shot back up much faster than the supply. That's why the cost of gas began to rise last year. The second route is Vladimir Putin. The start of this year, gas was about $3.30 a gallon. Today, it's about averaging 420, $4.22. It's higher in many states. The fault is COVID. The fault is, uh, is Vladimir Putin. Never the, never the fault of Joe Biden. Never the fault of, of policies. Is it his fault that we have an economy or a jobs number today that didn't meet expectations? Is it his fault that the economy is faltering with inflation rising and stagflation possibly here? And now people talking about the inverted yield curve, which is a conversation, a marker for recession. Is he going to accept any blame or can he play the blame game enough to hopefully get him some results in the midterms and in 2024, Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today, Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Stephen Moore joins us right now, former senior Trump economic advisor, part of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He's the founder there. And we talk about, sir, uh, this jobs report. Uh, it came in under, yet people are talking about it as strong. What's your take? Hey, Tony, good to be with you. Well, before I answer that question, I'd like to um, respond to what uh, Joe Biden said yesterday. Oh, feel free. This is probably what his uh, 
312th um, energy policy. It seems to change every every few days. Um, so when Trump, when Biden says, "Look, you know, we, you know, this is because of the economy recovered from COVID," um, Joe, the economy was six months into recovery before you came into office. Six months before, you know what the oil price was. You know what the inflation rate was the month that Trump left office. I'm not sure, but it was lower than now. One point six percent. So we during a recovery, the, the um, inflation rate was one point six. Trump leaves office, and in fourteen months, fourteen months. I don't know how Biden did it. He took the inflation rate from one point six percent to eight <laughs> percent. It's unbelievable. I didn't think he could do it, but he did. Um, th- then he says, "Oh." Don't worry about those high gas prices, Tony. Don't worry about it, because we're all going to buy electric vehicles. You know how many cars on the road, what percentage of cars on the road today are electric vehicles? What, what, I'm getting the one getting quizzed. It's killing me. I do not. What is the number of electric vehicles on the road today? About 3 to 4%. 3 to 4%. Not 30 to 40. 3 to 4 So if my math is right, Tony, that means 96% of our cars use old-fashioned gasoline. So it's right. insulting, Mr. President. You say, oh, don't worry that you have to pay $80 to fill up your tank uh, because you can go out and buy an electric vehicle. Uh, people don't have $80,000 just sitting around to buy a Tesla. I mean, again, it's insulting when Biden says that. Um, and then he says, I mean, I, you know, I get so, sorry, Tony, I just get so infuriated. No, 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 I'm, I'm letting you roll. Then, I've then got questions, says, don't you worry. What? So then I, he said... The other thing he said in his press conference, uh, we need these um, energy companies who have leases on federal lands to drill to uh, start drilling. Really? How many times, Tony, in the last three years has Joe Biden said he doesn't want any drilling on federal lands? None. Zero. He's going to outlaw it. He's going to forbid it. He's going to hang you in the public square if you drill on federal lands. And now he's telling, cajoling the uh, energy companies to drill on federal lands when he said 100 times he'd he wants to outlaw Well, this is part of, of the, the, the problem and the bigger question regarding his policies and being able to kind of decipher his policies. On the electric car conversation, we still have to power the electricity somehow. And when exactly. you talk about... When you talk about drilling, wouldn't there be a policy like if we go back to the days of, of President Trump, were there policies in place to help these oil companies to make it easier on them to do the what is necessary on the exploratory side to determine whether or not there was oil under the ground? Yeah. So, look, as you know, I, I served as one of the economic advisors to Trump. I was with him many times in the Oval Office when we talked about energy policy. I used to tell him, you know, Mr. President, you know, from the very start, you know, of his presidential campaign you know we'd say larry kudlow and others would say mr president if you go all in on producing american oil or gas or coal or nuclear power you know take advantage of the shale revolution that that uh, you know quadrupled the amount of oil and gas we have in this country uh that's technologically feasible to uh, to drill uh you know we would say to him, mr president you can make america energy independent and i'll never forget tony and trump would wag his finger at us and say Steve, I don't want America to be energy independent. I want us to be energy dominant. And we were right. on the path to being energy dominant through a all-in American energy policy. Drill, use our coal, use our nuclear, where appropriate, wind and solar. We could maybe get 10% of our energy from wind and solar, maybe not more than that, but we probably could. Um, 
And so what's happened is Biden's come in. He declares war. on. I mean, I'm not exaggerating uh, almost literally, but certainly figuratively, he declared war on American energy production because he hates the oil and gas industry. He said, by the way, his, his own appointment appointees say they, their goal is to bankrupt the oil and gas right. industry. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm so frustrated because he talks out of both sides of his mouth. Folks, let me be very clear about this. Joe Biden and his wacko green energy advocates want high oil oil and gas prices. This is exactly what they want, because when the price of it goes up, it forces you to use less of it. And so that is uh, that is simply the truth of this. I guarantee you uh, that if Donald Trump were still president today, instead of producing 10 million million barrels a day of oil, we'd be at 15 million easily, easily. And that would be five hundred million dollars more a day at $100 a bar- barrel that we would be coming into this country rather than leaving this country. So, um, you know, this is this is the most cockamamie energy policies I've ever seen. All we're doing is exporting the oil and gas production from the United States to Russia, to Saudi Arabia, to Iran, to Venezuela, and the OPEC countries. Let's so get a little deeper right now. Talking, talking to Stephen yeah. Moore, uh, economist. He was an advisor, uh, senior advisor, economic advisor to President uh, Donald Trump. Um, the other part of, of the green conversation is if, if yeah. oil is and gas is higher, it makes green look good by uh, comparison. I, this was that's President why, Obama saying... They- that's, that rates that's have to why skyrocket. You want high oil prices. Look, if you if you had um, you know oil prices back at sixty dollars a barrel, which they were under under Trump, we were you know we were paying two dollars and sixty nine cents a gallon the day that Trump left office. Now we're paying four dollars and fifty nine cents a gallon. So that's an almost two dollar a gallon increase. That's by the way when Trump Biden says, "Oh, I'm never going to raise taxes on anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand. Every time you go to the gas pump, every time you go to the grocery store, you're paying the Biden inflation tax. That is absolutely true. And inflation is a, a tax. But exactly. let's go to the other part of this uh, really yeah. quick, which was okay. about uh, the, the, the jobs numbers. And I mean, even on yeah. oil, you heard uh, Speaker Pelosi saying we can't use this as an excuse to drill more. We have to use this as an opportunity to build out our green. She said that once improving the theory. But on these jobs report, 431,000 yeah. instead of 490 plus thousand. Do you look at this report as a positive or is it a miss of 60,000 jobs and indicative of the weaker labor labor market continuing? Uh, so, um, I mean, it's a good news, news, bad news story. First of all, it is it is overall a good news story. I mean, my God, 500,000 jobs when you include the revisions from the previous month. That's a lot of jobs in one month. And we've had three or four really good you know, months of jobs. The jobs are out there, Tony. The jobs are out there. There's 10 million unfilled jobs in this country. Never seen anything like it. Um, so any, you, you want a job, folks, and you have any any useful skill at all, you can find one in 48 hours. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news here, by, by the way, we're st- even with these good jobs numbers we had for the last three or four months, we're still about 2 million jobs short of where we were pre-COVID. So oh, that's that's the whole conversation of look at yeah. all the jobs that I've created. But you and I both know that he has not created a single job at all. All he has done is had people go back to work. Yeah, and that that all started again. People, I don't want people to forget the history here. The United States was an economic, huge economic recovery 
the the day that uh, of the election. You know, it's it's amazing to me that people, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, we had had two really strong quarters of growth um, and we're getting well beyond the, the crisis of COVID. Incidentally, now, I'm, uh, the biggest problem when it comes to that jobs report is, yes, the jobs are out there. But over the last year, according to these latest statistics, Tony, the wages, the average wage for an American um, grew by 5.5%. Now, that's a good number over a year, 5.5%. But guess what? Inflation grew by almost 8%. So do the math there, (laughs) right, Tony? That means that people actually lost. your, Your paycheck is shrinking, folks. Your paycheck is shrinking because of this biden inflation tax it means people are getting poorer not richer under biden so this this job reports for you is is the mixed bag you look at this and can say uh you know very 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 clearly not worrying about the politics of it but but the honesty of it hey this this is certainly the the right direction but i i'm having trouble uh, squaring the circle on this, talking to Stephen Moore, economist, uh, former senior economic advisor to President Donald Trump. I'm having problems squaring the circle on this when you take a look at the 4.5 million people who quit their jobs in January, the quits report as as we know it, and that uh, next to the fact that there are, as last report, not 10 million, but 11.4 million jobs available in the United States. I see unemployment going down, I see people quitting, and I see this massive amount of jobs still open, and I don't know how to make sense of the things. Do it for me, please. Yeah, I wish I could. I mean, it really is complicated. But, but, but I'll say that, um, that the, a, a big factor here is that Biden spent his entire first year in office. What was he doing, Tony? He was paying people not to work. Think of all those government handout programs, the expanded unemployment benefits, uh, the expanded uh, child credits of, uh, you know, $300 uh, a month. You have three kids, you got 1000 bucks a month. Uh, the expanded food stamps, rental assistance. Millions of people didn't even have to pay their rent because the government paid for it. We forgave people for their debts, their student loans. Uh, we had, uh, I can go on and on and on. And so people could make, you know, in, in a state like Indiana, you could make 75000 bucks, not even working from all these government benefits. And so what we need to do is get back to the idea, now that we're back to a situation where COVID is thankfully, you know, pretty much behind us, Let's let's go back to the idea that, you know, you have to work to get these benefits because we need we need Americans back working. We, you know, we need to get Americans back on the job. So let me maybe uh, try and look for some hope in, in all of this as as you study and, and go over these Donald policies Trump takes over the White House in 2020. So, you know, five. I mean, you know, because we cannot. I mean, I'm just aghast at the wrong decisions this president so, made. So, so, I mean, so here's the question: one thing on the economy, he has done right. I, I, I can't. I, of course, I, if if I could, I, I would. But he's got nothing. I would honestly say I think this is correct. If I thought there was something there, so the so the question for us is is that. It, it doesn't matter who you are. You could have your pedigree, or you could be a fool like me, or you could be anybody out there uh, in, in America of different uh, economic uh, uh, classes, of different education classes, and you know that your food costs more and your gas costs more. So when we look at Biden's policies, they seem remarkably detached 
from the reality? At what moment, given your understanding of economics and your time in in the political sphere, at what moment in the in as you see the Biden administration, should the reality kick in and their own party should say we can't go on like this? Well, I think that panic button was was uh, was uh, pushed yesterday. I mean, Biden actually had to go out there and with a street straight face say, "Oh, we need more drilling on federal lands." I mean, that's a complete reversal of everything he said for the last two years. He said he wants to basically outlaw ban drilling on federal lands. Now it's like, did you ever play that game when you were a kid? Green light, red light. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. That's like his energy policy. You know, uh, no, you can't drill. Uh, red light. Oh, yes, you can drill. Green light. Red light. Green light. How, how are the energy companies supposed to deal with that? I mean, you right. know, do you think they trust him? Do you think they trust him when he says, oh, go ahead and drill. Go go make that billion-dollar investment. We'll let you drill. And then tomorrow he says, oh, no, 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 you know, red light. You can't drill. So this is confusing to everyone. I talked to the people who were involved in the Keystone Pipeline. They said, we're not going to build that thing now. Are you crazy? We invested all this money in it. And then Biden comes in and says, no, you can't build it. Now, no, you can. And, I mean, it's just it, it, there's no consistency in the policy. None of the people in these industries um, trust not just Biden, but the left-wing ideologues he's put in virtually. I mean, Pete Buttigieg, he's the, he's the transportation secretary. He doesn't know anything about transportation. <laughs> well, he's made that very yeah. obvious and very, yeah. very clear. Uh, Stephen Moore, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, former Trump uh, senior economic advisor, uh, sir, I appreciate you being with us, being a part of the show. We will have more of the show coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. Jim Banks, congressman from the Indiana 3rd District, chairman of the House Republican Study Committee, wrote a letter to Bob Chapek, CEO of Disney, letting him know that he would fight to rescind Mickey Mouse's copyright renewal because of their wokeness. And he he, uh, wrote uh, that... um, Given Disney's opposition to the Parental Rights in Education Act and its push to include, a, quote, many, many LGBTQIA characters in its stories, unquote, he cannot support an extension of its copyrights. Disney has said it wants this law repealed, meaning the, the Parental Rights in Education bill there in Florida, even though it has broad support among Florida residents, especially parents. A senior Disney employee was recently caught on camera saying she wants, quote, many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories. Actually, another employee said that she had a not-so-secret gay agenda, which I don't know what that has to do with trans. They're different things, but maybe people don't know that. Uh, But, you know, woke is going to woke. And according to Disney employee, Disney's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Department, quote, expanded by an astonishing 633% in 2019 through 2021, at the same time that nearly every other department was contracting by 25 to 75%. This suggests Disney is purposefully influencing small children with political and sexual agenda. Ah, look, I like Congressman Banks. He's been on the show a million times. He's always been good to me. I'm, I'm not arguing with him that Disney is wrong in the wokeness and a bad business model I don't think you can keep a copyright from them I mean I just 
What can I say? I'm thinking rationally, maybe. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.